Hello, and welcome to part two of our latest DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. My name is Chris Baird. I'm a London-based partner and M&A lawyer at global business law firm DLA Piper. So, Alina, what is it that you do with founders to make them more investable or less risky? Obviously, they don't have the history, but how do you work on their business case so that corporates can invest? Our model is slightly different to kind of the usual mentorship or sort of advisory type uh, models. And the reason is that we've seen over and over again, um, the real sort of gap that these early stage entrepreneurs have is the ability to, to literally build their business. So whether it's from the product side, whether it's from an operational side, from a you know financial, legal or technology, the kind of the back end of, of the product itself, there is a limit to the talent they're able to work with on the continent. And so we work hand in hand, we co-build, if you like, with the, with the teams and, and the founders um, and, and the early stage companies uh, in order to, First and foremost, aligned to a very specific market opportunity, uh, and, and you know you, you hear this kind of product to market fit uh, jargon flown flow, uh, thrown around, but it's very much that because first and foremost you need to have a very clear scalable market with very clear users, and a lot of the early stage businesses kind of miss that, and then building out the actual product again, very much aligned to that, and iterating and, uh, along the way. Um, so it's it's very much this idea of as we see with some of the, let's say, Silicon Valley successful companies, but also in other markets, being able to continuously pivot and continuously agilely sort of develop the, 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 um, the, the product. So that's one is we're a team of tech engineers, product developers, product coaches, um, you know, investment specialists partnerships and biz dev uh, um, uh, teams. So it's really kind of a 360 degree team that works with, with the, the founders. And then the second part is aligning that to your investment trajectory. So it's very much, we, you know, we talk about kind of there's more capital that's needed for these businesses, but it's more capital at the right time of their growth. There's no reason why a business or, or rather there's, it's very hard for business to absorb a $5 million check when you're still validating MVP, right? That there's, that it's, it's a complete misconnect. So aligning that product and business growth trajectory to the investment trajectory is incredibly important. And so that's where we work with the external investors to bring that in. And I guess aligning founders' expectations in terms of when the capital flow will occur and what time, rather than you know, being the final exit uh, and some expectations that I imagine founders have. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting that one. Um, I, I tell the story of the 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 interesting sort of delineation between African founders more broadly. I'm gen I'm generalizing, and let's say, you know, the kind of the the the, the U.S. or the Silicon Valley founders is that there's they're very humble. So when they're starting a business, you know, somebody in the U.S. will start a business, and the next day they'll come to you and say, "I'm going to be the next uh, the next kind of big big tech company out there. I'm going to be a billion dollar unicorn." Uh, in Africa, uh, you know, the entrepreneurs are much more humble, uh, and so it's about very much ex- as you said, sort of aligning their expectations, but also encouraging them to see scale. So it's not you know your business impacting your local community, absolutely, or your city or your country, but what what does scale look like for you over a period of time? 
and painting that picture and then aligning that to your both your business, your product and your investment um, sort of journey and putting them on that pathway. And that is really kind of the role that we play is aligning those three things together and setting them up for success. So absolutely. And and doing that, you're and given the industries you're in, so health tech and fintech, you are right on the cusp of regulatory developments and, and legal developments, and you are operating in markets where potentially that regulation is either a step behind or isn't clear or, or is still developing itself. How do you find that? Obviously, we're a law firm, and, and that's part of the uh, role we play in, in the industry is advising on regulatory development. But how do you see that regulatory development question impacting on your investments and what would you like to see to develop the market from a regulatory perspective in in broad terms we've seen sandboxes and and other um ideas being thrown around what is it that you would like to see from a regulatory perspective i think just recognizing the diversity of the regulatory systems across africa just just being cognizant of the fact that nigeria is different from south africa from ghana etc the one thing that upsets me chris is and and this sometimes is is unfortunately still very much the the myth and the perception is you know when when you say we work in africa sometimes biz, um, people say oh how do you deal with corruption how do you deal with like the 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 kind of the, the, the complexity in a negative sense of the, the regulatory environment. Um, and, you know, and our answer is twofold. One is, first of all, the, the fact that there is no latent regulatory systems in some cases um, is actually a good thing because, yeah. again, here are ventures that are paving the way in technology and innovation, clinical uh, uh, um, sort of innovation, but also in fintech. Um, so it's actually more of an advantage in some case than if you look at fintech and health tech in the US or Europe. I think the second thing is that we always say, and this is obviously, uh, you know, we, we are very much focused on the entrepreneur and the founder, is founders know their environment, they know their market. In fact, that's part of our criteria when selecting uh, kind of ventures to work with is does the founder and the founding team have a really good grasp of the complexities of their market, right? And regulatory is a huge part in sort of doing business and how that works. Um, but there's wider questions, I think, questions around IP and registration. Again, when you look at, you know, where your South Africa, you know, IP uh, regulation is quite strict. And so, so, so the, the, the kind of approach that we take with, with businesses there is different to others. There's questions around, um, yeah, registration. And, and there's an increase in businesses registering their companies in Delaware and in Europe to be able to tap into some of the investment networks that we find in Europe and the US. Uh, so there's, there's things of that nature. But absolutely, I think the um, there's no doubt, you know, and again, even this year that we've seen, um, we've seen, you've mentioned sandboxes. I'm very excited about that. I think the movement towards that is, uh, is very positive that governments recognizing the role of regulation uh, and, um, making it rather than a restrictive force an enabling force. And I think, uh, you know, Sandbox is very much played to that is, is giving the entrepreneur the ability to test their product, their innovation in a, in a very safe environment. Um, but we've also seen, you know, we've also seen uh, regulations change quite quickly this year alone. You know, we've seen um, sort of the health regulations have changed to enable more telemedicine startups to flourish. So I think there's all sort of uh, positive signs um, of, of, of the way sort of entrepreneurs navigate uh, regulation, but also access 
to the regulators themselves. I think, again, so many people would see them as these like scary institutions that all they're trying to do is control. Are we there yet? Of course not. There's ways to go. And I'm always encouraged by uh, people like yourselves who are, again, paving that way and supporting the businesses, but also the regulators in coming to a, a very sort of advantageous context and environment where we can work. And presumably, Elena, your corporate backers also have a, a good role or a significant role uh, in the regulatory spheres because they too will have a pretty good understanding of uh, whether it's fintech or health tech and the regulatory environment and can add a lot of value themselves. Yeah, that's a very important point. Absolutely. Um, both from an access to the regulators, um, which we've seen sort of play out uh, as, as uh, very helpful and supportive to some of our companies, um, but also in themselves sort of having the technical knowledge uh, that they're able to share. I mean, one example is we have a, a portfolio company um, uh, in in the fintech space uh, that we've 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 built from the from the ground up, uh, and they were facing uh, there's it's a South African company the the model is very closely but not uh, touching sort of the Credit Act and very much influenced by it, um, and you know we've seen enormous support that have come from from one of our um, you know our investors and shareholders Standard Bank Group, uh, and they've they've uh, they've provided a lot of uh, a lot of uh, sort of nuanced expertise that the startup would not have been able to get, or they would have, but if it would have been taken, it would have taken them uh, a lot longer. But then also the access, the lobbying power of corporates is, is important as well. Again, if we look at it from a macro perspective, you know, um, how, how corporates influence the regulatory environment, that's, that's really important. So that, that absolutely definitely agree with that. And then finally, you know, looking forward, um, We've been through a pretty bumpy road. Uh, we've got a whole year ahead of us now. But how do you see things playing out in the next five years? Um, it's still a nascent industry. There's still a lot of pieces of the life cycle to fit in. Um, what do you think will be the key themes for this industry over the next five years? Yes, I think that um, what we are going to see, and I'm very bullish uh, on the power of collaboration and partnerships, um, both from a uh, and partnerships in 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 a um, you know resource perspective, but also in terms of investment and, and so investment flows and where they're going. I think having gone through uh, or you know still in the middle of let's say a pandemic, I think we've seen the power of the corporate startup collaboration and, and, and the fact that both do really benefit from each other's um, uh, each other's kind of uh, 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 additionality that they bring to the table, um, but also from, from the investment angle as well. You know, we've seen investors not only uh, looking for businesses to invest in, but there's a lot more uh, strategic prioritization of the types of companies uh, that they look for. Um, we're looking at the kind of the type of sectors that are that are booming. Uh, again, I'm very excited to see uh, the change. I mean, fintech has been ruling in the last five years. It's, it's seen a lot of hype in Africa and across the world. Uh, health tech is not far behind. I, th I think we're seeing a lot more of the deep tech coming out with AI and blockchain, et cetera, um, and other sectors like agriculture, like education. Um, 
and like some of those uh, other sort of underlying uh, uh, subsectors within them. So I think within the greater investment flows from other markets outside of Africa, um, and greater sort of uh, synergies between corporates and startups. Um, I think we're in for for a very good ride. I mean, one thing um, one thing that I'm I'm definitely determined, and, and this is part of sort of FFA's mandate as well, is is to change the perception of the early stage uh, sort of startup ecosystem, um, because I definitely think there's a lot that. Um, both corporates and investors and, and, and other entities can learn. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of myths about that. Uh, and part of that, as I mentioned uh, previously, I think there's a lot that can be done in driving more investment into African and African e ecosystems and the early stage companies as well. Um, so and I'm very I'm very excited to see where it goes. I'm very excited to see the innovations uh, within those sectors. Um, again, I think we've seen with COVID uh, the ingenuity and the creativity that startups bring. Uh, that corporates or other entities could not necessarily bring in this in the speed um, and and with the agility that they have, um, and and at, at a scale. Uh, again, it's not just about you know one innovation impacting one person, although that's that's of course very important. But but it's actually um, Africa playing a larger role within emerging markets and and more broadly within the world in terms of innovation and technology um, and um, and investment. Um, so I'm I'm very excited where we're going. I. I think there has um, never been a, a better time for innovation. It feels like this partnership between established corporates and and uh, new entrants um, is starting to get some traction. Do you think that people are now starting to really believe in this partnership and seeing social benefits from early stage innovation? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, um, I think there's a, a deeper understanding and appreciation, uh, and again, especially in Africa, that a lot of the businesses that are creating commercial ventures, doing so with impact underpinning uh, those solutions. Um, and, and this is, you know, we're big proponents of, again, changing the mindset that Africa is not just a philanthropy or a charity case, you know, and, and bit we have a lot of obviously grant making investors and, and, and again, international organizations that are playing a huge role. But at the same time, Africa is a business case. It's a commercial case with large impact underpinning it. So, um, you know, again, you know, the, the kind of sectors that I've mentioned, not just those that we sort of work in, but, you know, all businesses, um, most businesses, majority of businesses um, are changing livelihoods, are transforming people's buying power, are changing value chains and supply chains of corporates. So all of that impact or development contributes to the growth of the economies. Um, and on the other hand, so I think that, you know, you've mentioned sort of ESG or SDG sort of related or, you know, uh, kind of metrics that, that a lot of corporates have, have kind of instituted. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in, you know, Patagonia, Mars and Uli. Unilever uh, that uh, that have done enormous um, enormous uh, enormously well in in sort of driving that agenda. Um, I think there's you know again a lot more can be done. I think a lot more corporates can think about the the way they can collaborate with startups um, and not treat it just as a box ticking exercise, you know, and 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 marketing exercise. Let's say so. I think there's real value to be leveraged from that collaboration with early stage businesses. There's real, you know, revenue drivers um, from a bottom line perspective, but there's real strategic cultural 
and innovation uh, value and advantages that, that corporates can glean from, the, from, from working with startups. Well, I think that's a um, significantly positive note to end on. Alina, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great speaking. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me.